This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, there was a study a couple of years ago from Northwestern University that pretty much said, hey, you know, bisexual guys don't really exist. No, they said that basically guys who claim to be bisexual are either gay, straight, or lying. Right, which is actually a pretty offensive, however, it's prevalent, uh, sentiment. Yeah. Um, but there's a new study. Yes. A new study by actually... Northwestern University mm-hmm. um, about bisexuality in men. And they have found some evidence that it exists, which is of no surprise to bisexual men. Right. They're like, <laughs> oh, hey, thanks, science, for finally acknowledging our existence. Right. And we're focusing this episode on male bisexuality, uh, not really focusing so much on female bisexuality, just because this whole gay, straight or lying thing has really been applied mostly to men. And it seems like For some reason, while we can accept the notion of female bisexuality, guys, we are just, we can't do it. Yeah. Well, there seems to be, there seems to be some sort of ick factor as one person who was interviewed for an article about this. I think it was a a male bisexual, a self-identified bisexual male. Yeah. Yeah. He said that it seems like society is okay with bisexual women, but not so accepting of bisexual men that either maybe um, you're just closeted mm-hmm. and you haven't come out yet or you're just confused. And so, yeah, he said that there's an ick factor where it's like it's not masculine right. to express interest in both men and women. So let's back up a little bit and talk about how uh, researchers even evaluate and to prove in quotes whether or not someone is the sexuality or sexual preference that they identify mm-hmm. as and a lot of it has to do with study participants watching uh, pornography or reading illicit materials and their genitals being hooked up to uh, machines, basically, that measure the, the blood flow and engorgement to, to tell whether or not they're turned on. Right, exactly. And in the first study, the 2005 study at Northwestern, um, they recruited participants through a variety of media um, that weren't necessarily geared towards bisexual or self-identified bisexual people. Um, some just plain old alternative publications, some publications geared towards the gay community. Um, and they ended up getting people who they judged were gay, straight, or bisexual based on just their own responses to a questionnaire. Mm-hmm. In the, in the current study, the more recent study, they actually, um, 
advertised in uh, on websites and publications that were geared towards more, more bisexual people. And one way they pre-selected too for for bisexual males was that the, the men who participated in the study had to have been in a serious relationship with both a male and a female um at, I think at least once or twice um and also to have had uh sexual relationships with both men and women. Right. Rather than um, in the previous study where some men might have identified as bisexual, but had never been in relationships, long-term romantic relationships with both men and women. Right. And in the first study, the reason that they said like, ah, no, they're not really bisexual. They're just confused or they're lying or whatever, mm-hmm. was that the men being studied either responded only to the male pornography Or the female pornography, not to both. And so they said, well, this obviously proves since you're not aroused by both men and women Mm -hmm. in these videos, then obviously bisexuality is not a thing. Right. In the in the words of The New York Times, which reported on that 2005 study, bisexual desires are sometimes transient and are still poorly understood. Indeed. Yeah. They cited a 1994 study by The Advocate that found that prior to identifying themselves as gay, 40% of gay men had described themselves as bisexual. So there was definitely an attitude that like, oh, well, you're just on the road to being gay. Mm -hmm. Well, and Dan Savage, um, who is a sex advice columnist, um, talked about this new study in particular and this issue of male bisexuality. And um, he explains that, you know, in his case, at least when he was uh, younger and was first out of the closet. He first identified as bisexual just for fear of societal repercussion. If he was saying that he was, you know, really only interested in sexual relationships with men. And Mm -hmm. so just from that, there is anecdotal evidence that yes, sometimes um, perhaps younger gay males might identify as bisexual before they're being comfortable identifying completely as homosexual. But um, by saying that, you know, extrapolating anecdotal evidence to the entire population obviously is not correct. Right. And talking about um, what aroused what videos aroused these study participants in the new study, um, the self-identified bisexual men did respond to both the male and female videos while gay and straight men did not. And, you know, they point out that men with bisexual arousal patterns may experience temporal fluctuations in their attractions and arousal to men and women. So it's not like I'm 50, 50 percent attracted to men and women. Right. It's more like, you know, as one guy interviewed said, like today I might be more attracted to men and slightly attracted to women. But tomorrow I might be all about women and, you know, not look at men. And there was one of the uh, the senior authors of that 2005 study who said for men, arousal is orientation, which doesn't really take into account the fluidity of gender and sexuality. I think that it kind of puts men in this box of if you're bisexual, then, you know, anything and anyone you look at, you will be aroused by. And that's not the case. And we don't kind of put that same uh, sexual pressure on bisexual women. It seems like we're not expecting bisexual women to just, you know, for it to just be some kind of sexual smorgasbord. (laughs) Right, exactly. 
Um, I, there is an interesting article on heteroflexibility, which mm-hmm. is a term I had never heard before, but it's a term that makes sense. Um, <laughs> Rich Savin Williams, the director of sex and gender lab at Cornell University and Kenneth Cohen, a clinical psychologist at Cornell Counseling and Psychological Services, took a look at young men who are secure in their hetero- heterosexuality. And yet they seem to be aware of this potential to experience more mm-hmm. than just relationships with women. And they broke down. There's all these subtypes. Um, and what I thought was interesting, you know, in addition to the actual article or some of the responses that it got online, some of the comments were talking about how um, these are just normal heterosexual friendships with the body issues and homophobia removed. So this isn't exactly the same thing as bisexuality that these guys are talking about. Right. But sort of like a shift in male relationships, which I thought was interesting. The release from the, the quote, heterosexual straight jackets. Right. That, um, that, that one of the, the interviewees mentions. And, um, the whole heteroflexibility thing makes sense because for, for women, it is not only acceptable, but even expected for really close girlfriends to share deeper emotional bonds mm-hmm. and you know it isn't that that far of a leap perhaps in our mind from that that close bonding where we can you know hug each other and comfort each other when we're crying and be very emotive to kind of just naturally transition into possibly something more sexual whereas with men just because of the masculinity constructs that uh we have to deal with it might not be as acceptable to even just cross into those bounds of close and intimate friendships. Right. What's interesting that these researchers were pointing out is that there seems to be this broad range of, of these guys who fall into this heteroflexible category. Um, but they all seem to draw the line at actual intercourse. Oh yeah. So they were okay, possibly like fantasizing about their friends mm-hmm. or other guys. They were they were uh, okay with having, you know, intimate relationships and almost having a partner-like relationship, but just without the sex. Right. So, or specifically intercourse. Right. Because I have a feeling that some heteroflexibility might include um, manual or oral sex, but I have a feeling, yeah, that line would come. Actual intercourse. Yes. Right. But since we're talking about um, physical sexual acts, I do think it's important for us to re-emphasize the fact um, that this initial Northwestern study, the 2005 one, the, the whole gay straighter lying conclusion one, missed out on is that uh, sexual orientation is not just comprised of sex and fantasy right. and arousal. Yeah, a lot of responses to these studies have involved people saying, you know, just because I am turned on by something or these these um, people in the study were turned on by something, that doesn't mean that they're one way or another, that they're bisexual, gay or straight, because you can watch a video and be turned on by something but not necessarily actually want to do it yourself or not want to do it with those people yourself. Or for, yeah, and forge those actual relationships, sexual relationships with people. Right. Um, and Ellen Rydstrom, the president of the Bisexual Resource Center, uh, talking about the new study, which it's still drawing criticism, even though it reinforces what bisexual people already know, says that this unfortunately reduces sexuality and relationships to just sexual stimulation. What I love is that people express their bisexuality in so many different ways. So I think that kind of sums up what a lot of the commenters on these articles were talking about, that it's it's more than just what you see in porn mm-hmm. that, that affects who you are. And I think in addition to that, it comes down to 
differences in how we apply the notion of sexual fluidity to females and to males. And I think that we're far more, far more black and white and rigid for whatever reason with how we apply that to men. And I think that Mm -hmm. it has a lot to do with, um, with the whole masculinity construct and Mm -hmm. what is and isn't acceptable. And it's like, once you cross the line into, um, you know, something that would be more, more feminine, then it's like, we can't, I don't know. It's like they can't straddle the line anywhere. Yeah. That makes sense. Women. Yeah. It seems like women can move around the spectrum, mm-hmm. the continuum. If we're getting into Kinsey can move <laughs> right. around the continuum much more easily than men can. And speaking of Alfred Kinsey, um, in 1948, you know, you were just talking about black and white, very rigid context. He said that males do not represent two discrete populations, heterosexual and homosexual. The world is not to be divided into sheep, and goats. The living world is a continuum in each and every one of its aspects. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Alfred. Thank you, Alfred. <laughs> and I think that's something that uh, that we need to keep in mind. Right. Yeah. And, you know, again, speaking about constructs, uh, we read this this article on Salon that sort of it, it kind of deconstructed the Northwestern study. And they talked to one guy who calls himself gay or straight, depending on who he's dating, Mm -hmm. because he said it's just easier for people around him to deal with it than try to explain like, well, no, I mean, I like everybody. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, because it just seems like people are not, they can't wrap their heads around it sometimes. So maybe that's also pointing out the pitfall, potential pitfalls of, of labeling, because at some point, maybe all of the boxes get a little too rigid. I mean, it can be handy for kind of, classifying different people, but maybe it's just not always that necessary. And maybe Mm -hmm. we put too much importance on what box that you do check. Yeah. I was looking at one website for a, um, there's a bisexual group in the UK and they, they took a look at Kinsey's, um, his chart, like Mm -hmm. zero is purely heterosexual and six is purely homosexual. And then he has like little things in between Mm -hmm. and how they're like, well, no, three can't be bisexual. They were arguing that everything between zero and six should be bisexual. So there's that to think about. So we've talked about bisexuality within the human population. And, you know, for, for people who are still kind of skeptical about whether or not bisexuality is a, and I'm putting big quotes here, some kind of natural or unnatural behavior, we have to at least bring up the bonobo, which is a bisexual primate. Mm -hmm. I didn't know this about bonobos before we started researching this. Um, And according to uh, the Yerkes Primate Center, which is here in Atlanta, bonobos engage in sexual activity about every 90 minutes. And that's sexual activity, male, male, female, male, female, female, <laughs> about every 90 minutes as a way of diffusing conflict within colonies where food and territory can be scarce. Hmm. So I don't see how people would ever get anything done. <laughs> maybe um, uh, bisexuality as a peacekeeping tool. Right. In the animal kingdom. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? But, but yeah, every 90 minutes, that seems that's an awful lot. It's funny because one of the researchers from that center was interviewed and they were asking him, um, well, okay, chimpanzees fight over, like, let's say there's food mm-hmm. to be fought over. There's not enough. It has to be distributed. So they'll fight over it and then they will distribute it somehow. Yeah. But these primates, the bonobo monkey, they just have at it. And then they're like, ah, oh, everything. Let's all just who distribute wants, the food. Who wants a snack? Food, everyone. So, so relaxed now. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> really anthropomorphizing these bonobos. Yes. I'd imagine they're pretty chilled out. I think we've covered it then. Does male bisexuality exist? Answer, Caroline. Yep. Yeah. But they could have told us that. They could have told us that. <laughs> yeah. So uh really want to hear, though, from our bisexual listeners out there, whether or not you've ever had to deal with that anti-bisexual prejudice, uh, bisexual males out there. Have you gotten the gay, straight, or lying line before? Let us know your thoughts and experiences. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is the address. I would also like to know if, as a bisexual male, it has made it easier or harder to meet people, dating-wise. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that like complicates things for other people <laughs> with our rigid constructs and everything. So with that, again, email address momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And first of all, I want to give a on-air thank you to Monica, who uh, during our Drag Queen podcast, we talked about this whole mummy situation with Dorian Corey, famous uh drag queen and after Dorian Corey died a mummy was found in her closet Mm -hmm. and so we wanted to know more information about this mummy situation and Monica sent us a paper published by Indiana University Press called The Drag Queen and the Mummy that explains the whole thing and I just wanted to say thank you because while I uh, unfortunately have not had time to read The Drag Queen and the Mummy because it just came in right before we record this podcast. Thank you to our enterprising, researching listener. You get a gold star. Okay, this email is from Joseph. This is also about our Drag Queen podcast. He says that I'm transgendered and have been transitioning for the last 11 months, and I've never been a drag queen or done drag. And he just has a couple of things that he thinks we left out of the podcast and feel should be mentioned. Many professional drag queens alter their bodies with female hormones, even if the end goal isn't transitioning into a woman. Most drag queens originally identified or identify as gay men. It's less common to see straight men perform on stage drag in a gay club, the typical setting for a drag show. While drag queens can be community leaders or MCs, as you mentioned, the core of drag is done for entertainment purposes. Drag done without an audience would just be called cross-dressing, smiley face. Usually a drag queen is putting on an act as a character and refers to themselves as she, even though they'll acknowledge their male attributes. Drag queens serving as MCs are typically known for their humorous self-deprecation or insults. It's kind of like a mix between a lip-sync performer, a stand-up comic, and a mild burlesque performance. And the queen part of the drag queen etymology most likely refers to a queen, Q-U-E-A-N, which is base vernacular for a female prostitute, according to... Gay Histories and Cultures, an Encyclopedia by George E. Haggerty. So thank you, Joseph, for that insight. And thanks to all of you who have emailed in. Once again, momstuff at howstuffworks.com is the email address. Or you can find us on Facebook and leave a comment there. Or you can follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And you can check out the blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Fork's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? 
If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other, through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson. And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete. We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.